A man prepared a wedding for his son. What does that mean in today's culture? He hired the best DJ in town. He found the right caterer. He had to pay for the tuxedo. Made sure that the bride had a nice dress. Made sure that there was a great venue for the reception. And oh yeah, maybe there should be a pastor. And I guess the wedding can be in church if that works for everybody. And anymore, marriage is a secular event. It's not the joining of man and woman. It's not the joining of two families. But it's merely a legal confirmation of the love that exists between two people. In American culture, sadly in much of Christian culture, Christ is no longer viewed as a necessary component of marriage. And as the meaning of marriage disintegrates in our culture, our understanding of wedding reverts to a popularity contest with party throwing and gift giving. And even our understanding of partying, to us, a, a party is either an excuse to get drunk and make fools of ourselves, or it's a burden. It's, it's an inconvenience to get dressed up and celebrate somebody else's achievement, somebody else's milestones. It's not a joy, but it's a hardship to host others, to be generous and hospitable. And this teaching is built around a wedding feast. It's not to say that scripture is culturally bound, but... In order to truly understand this parable, we need to shed our 21st century views of marriage and recapture a biblical view of marriage, a biblical view of love, and of sacrifice. There are many kinds of love, but no love is as ardent and, and as fervent as a bride's love for her bridegroom, and vice versa, maybe more so the other way around. And of course, they can give each other presents and gifts and jewelry and riches and all this, but really when it comes down to it, all they can say is, I will have only you. And this bridal love is how God presents Christ to us. He allowed His Son to become man for us, to be united with our human nature, that we might understand and appreciate His goodwill toward us. Just as we love Christ, our bridegroom, our bridegroom who has been joined to us, so Christ loves us. And the same Christ that gives us wisdom and knowledge and prophets and saints and angels and scripture and the liturgy and sunrises and sunsets, but all we can say at the end of the day to our bridegroom is, I will have only you. And this union, this marriage of Christ is accomplished only by faith. If it weren't so, we would rely on her. We would not say, I will have only you, but we would make that love dependent on our own works, on our own striving for the love and acceptance. But what do we give him? A bride adorned in white robes with washed hair and perfumes and jewelry? No. To give him an impure bride, dirty, old, wrinkled, outcast, unfaithful. It is, to be sure, a very unequal marriage. We, we bring him all our heartaches, our misfortune, sin, misery, lamentation. He is the eternal life. We are darkness. He is the life. We are death. He is righteous. We are poor, miserable sinners. But does he tolerate that sin? Does he say, it's okay, when he sees how decrepit we are? He is so demanding. Our, our Lord is so finicky. 
that he will not dwell with his bride until he first adorns her with the finest garments. So he washes her. He saves her, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He clothes his repentant bride with his own robes. He gives her his own wisdom, truth, light, and righteousness. And not a piece or a morsel, but he gives his entire self for you. Not some of the truth, not a portion of the righteousness, but all of his divine self-sacrificing love. Just as the bride takes the name of her bridegroom, so too you can say, I am righteous, I am saved. Neither death, nor sin, nor hell, nor Satan can harm me because of the bridegroom I have. Again, while marriage in our day is something that can be thrown in the trash, this is not what Christ sees it. Until death do us part carries a lot of weight when the bridegroom lives eternally. In marriage, both parties leave father and mother and they cleave to one another. They do not disown each other, even if one is a little sick and awkward. For what concerns one, the other must be. And as the bride but also as a guest to this wedding feast. Our invitation finds its fulfillment in our healing. The king sent out messengers, his servants, carrying his gospel, his good news. There are those in the parable who received it and ignored it. The second group of messengers are those who do not preach the gospel, liars and their wolves in sheep's clothing who falsely claim the title of pastor, but they only lead their flock into damnation. By their own selfishness and laziness, and they return to their farms and to their businesses. But you don't need to worry about these evil messengers, at, at least not here. This pulpit has never heard anything besides Christ and Him crucified. So be vigilant then that you are neither the first invitees who completely ignore the messenger, nor the man who comes but is not wearing the proper garb. Simply bearing the name Lutheran does not make you worthy for this. Simply showing up on Sundays does not make you worthy. Whoever does not have on this wedding garment does not belong to the congregation. It's like a cancer or an ulcer. It's part of the body, but it does not belong in a healthy body. There are counterfeit bills among money, but they're not real money. There's chaff among wheat, but it's not real wheat. So too, those who come to church, who come to this altar, not wearing the wedding garment, are among Christians. They are not Christians. And so what is this wedding garment? Is it baptism? It's true that without baptism no one can come to God, but there are those who are baptized and fall away from the faith. Is it the Lord's Supper then? No, we know that there are those who eat and drink judgment on themselves. Even Judas was present at the Last Supper. So maybe it's fasting, but the wicked also fast. Well, is it coming to church? But many unbelieving evil men have walked through church doors before. Of the miracles, even Pharaoh's priests could perform miracles. To say that the garment is any, of, any, any one of these things is to fall into the trap of fundamentalism, defining Christianity by its bare minimums. 
This wedding garment is the whole of Christian life. It's love, it's charity. We have to give the garment one word. It would be faith. Christ gave you the robe of faith. He made you righteous. And so then love. Love unceasing. You who, have, you who love Christ, love your neighbor as yourself. You who love your friends, love your enemies. Mimic your bridegroom who hangs on the cross in agony and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Your bridegroom says to you, I am yours, so then also be mine. And as we fail, we soil this wedding garment. As Christ teaches us to love, he again clothes us in the robes of righteousness. By repenting and running back into the arms of our bridegroom, like the prodigal son when he returns, we are clothed with beautiful garments. You are clothed with baptism, with faith, and with love. And as we, with the angels and all who have fallen asleep in the faith, seeing holy, 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 the king enters into this banquet hall. He gazes out, and he sees you, clothed in the wedding garment, clothed in the very robe that he gave you, his own robe, his own righteousness. He does not see the poor, miserable sinner you confess to be at the beginning of service. He sees the Christian who received forgiveness. He sees his own child, clothed in your bridegroom's robes. And so the king greets you. Come. Eat. The sacrifice is prepared, and the meal is ready. In the name of Jesus. Amen.